Was it kind of emotional this morning? A little bit, just a little bit? Okay. It was a little bit, a little bit emotional this morning uh, for Clint, for those of us that grew up watching Saturday Night Live. I know, so you're, you're way too young. You guys remember Michael? Okay. Anyway, Mike Myers? Yeah. Um, here's where we're going, guys, for uh, our entire series. Today's an introduction, which means I'm just going to lay the groundwork for our journey. There's this passage in the Bible. We're not going to go exactly to that right now, uh, the text, but there's a passage in the Bible where there's an image of Jesus. And the image of Jesus is he's standing outside this door and he's knocking on the door. And he's saying, let me in. Now, some of you already know what the passage is. and Your mind is already going there because you grew up church. You're like, I know exactly what he's talking about, blah, 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 this and that. But imagine for a moment that you don't know what that passage says. Here's the initial part of that passage. Jesus says, I stand at the door knocking, and if anyone hears my voice, this is Jesus talking, and opens the door, I will come in and... Now, how would you answer that question? How would you finish the rest of that sentence? Again, if you know what the text says, just imagine for a moment you know. Because I want to propose to you, this is where we're going for the series, that the way you finish that sentence of what Jesus says will reveal a ton about who you think Jesus is and what he would do should you invite him into your life. Truth be told, for some of us, you don't consider yourself a Christian, a spiritual person, and you're kind of nervous about this whole Jesus thing because you're saying to himself, you're saying to yourself, if I let him in... I have no idea what he's about, and I have no idea what he's going to do. I don't know. Maybe you bought into the, what our culture says, and you think Jesus, and you think of a homophobic, anti-science, right-wing, not judgmental deity, and you're going, no thank you to that. Now, truth be told, for some of us who maybe know Jesus' have a relationship, our posture is, um, Jesus, I don't want to quite let you in, because my life is going okay, and I don't want you to come in and mess anything up. I don't quite want you to come in because, you know, um, my life, I'm in control. I, I've got things kind of where they want to be, you know. I'm in a relationship, a job. And I don't quite know what you'll do if I let you in. I'm afraid you might mess this up. So right now, no thanks. <laughs> Julie, though, some of us are like, but you know what? You wait a little bit, and my life is going to fall apart. I'm going to come knocking at your door, so be ready when I come. But for now, I'm good. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I read a book called With, uh, Reimagining How You Relate to God by a guy named Sky Juthani. And, and this isn't what the book is about, but it's where I got the idea from. In the book, he talks about five postures that people have towards God and how you relate to God, right? And I thought about this, and I go, this is often how you and I misconstrue Jesus is and how we relate to him. Because for some of us, let me give you the postures, okay? The way we would finish that verse would be this. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and give you a list of rules and regulations you need to keep in order to please me. And can all the church people that grew up in very legalistic environments say, I hear that. Nobody grew up in a legalistic church. (laughs) Holler if you know what I'm talking about, amen? For some of us, we're like Jesus, and we immediately, immediately think rules and regulations. We also immediately think good Christian, and we go people who keep the rules the best. Anybody? See, I grew up in a church where people who kept the rules the best were also like the meanest people. Anybody? Anybody? And I'm like, if that's what it means to be a good Christian, I don't want to be a good Christian. First of all, I don't want to be mean. 
despite what some of you already think. I don't want to be a mean person. And secondly, secondly, I thought, I'm just not very good. I'm not very good keeping the rules and regulations. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I'm just, I just wasn't very good. I was always kind of the little bit of the rebellious, little bit of the, I don't want to follow straight and narrow. You know, that was me. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Everybody that was an example of what I mean to be a good Christian follower, God was rule keepers. And I was like, I'm not very good at it, which means I don't qualify for something. Oh. Some of you walked away from the church because of this. You immediately think Jesus and you go, I'm not very good. <laughs> Can I, I have news for you. People that are sitting next to you, they're not very good either. <laughs> That's why they're here. Let's call this uh, life under God posture. Secondly, some of us would finish that verse this way. Here am I, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and give you. Next slide, please. What you ask for. Let's just be real honest here. For some of us, Jesus is a cosmic therapist and a divine butler. Can we be honest? Why does he exist for me? We don't exist for him. He exists for us. He orbits around our lives. God is measured by his usefulness. How good he is. You sit there going, that's not me. Who, who would be so spiritually immature to think that? You do. I do. You know why? How do you respond to suffering in your life? How do you respond to unanswered prayer? How do you respond to 2013 when difficulties come into your life? You know how a lot of us respond? We go to this place of, I'm good. I'm a good Christian. I'm there on Sundays. I serve. I'm moral. Da, 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 da. I demand a good life. What the heck is this? I don't deserve this. I said no to that really cute guy because he wasn't a Christian and I want to be a good Christian. Why am I still single? Where's the justice in that? Uh -huh. <laughs> I decided to follow my career and follow Jesus and stand to the Jesus has for us. And I'm getting left behind. Everybody's passing me up the corporate ladder. What the heck is that all about? God is measured by his usefulness. We also call it therapeutic deism. The sole purpose of why you worship God, why you follow God, why you obey God is what he can do for you. And you know what? For some of us that do that, you will entirely miss out on the presence of God. Let's call this life from God posture. A little kind of quirky, corny story. Uh, apparently one day Jesus is walking with his 12 disciples and he said to everybody, everybody pick up a stone. Carry the stone for me. So everybody picked up a stone. And Apostle Peter, being Peter, picked up like the tiniest little pebble, put it in his pocket. He's walking. Jesus says, everybody sit down. It's lunchtime. He says, take out your stones. Take out your stones. Jesus prays. And the stones turn into real food. And Peter's sitting there with his little mini muffin from like, you know. It's like, what the heck is this? He goes, I'm going to learn my lesson. Jesus is following me. Everybody's walking. Jesus says, everybody, pick up a stone again. Peter goes, I'm going to fall for it this time. So he goes, and he picks up like the biggest bowl that he could possibly find. He's carrying this whole thing. His back is hurting the whole day. It's like dinner time. But Peter's going, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Jesus says, everybody follow me. He takes him to the edge of a river, and he says, everybody throw your stones into the river and come follow me. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, what the heck was that? To which Jesus answered a question, a question you and a half, which is, Jesus goes, who are you carrying the stone for? For me? Or for you? See, I would ask you a question. 
why are you being a good, obedient Christian for? For him? Or for you? Here's a third posture, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this today, because I'm going to, by the way, cover all of these postures at least one Sunday's in the sermon series. This, let's call this, uh, uh, oh, 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 this is how you would finish the sentence. Here I am at the door, I stand at the knock, and if anybody here opens the door, I will come in and give you a mission to change the world. To which everybody in the community said, yes, that's what I'm about. The total sum entirety of the Christian life for you is serving the poor, the justice issues, and giving and mission for God. Truth be told, you love the mission of God more than you love God. So here's the thing, right? So we live in a, do you know that we live in a consumer culture? Of course you do. We live in a, so you know, here's what the church has done, right? The American church has said, we're going to turn these stinking consumers into real Christians. We're going to take people that live life from God and turn them into life for God. And in the process, we've turned one form of idolatry into another form of idolatry. The sum total of the Christian life is, the essence of the Christian life is, what we can do for God to serve and transform. Now, if you're sitting there going, whoa, 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 Peter, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's what your church is about, man. That's what this church is about. That's what I, that's what. And we are very quick to go, look at Jesus. Look at Paul. Isn't that what they were? Oh, let's look more carefully at Paul, shall we? What do you find when you actually read Paul. Here's what you actually find when you read Paul. More than a life for God and for mission, there was something that was even more paramount to his life, and that was Jesus himself. The thing that drove everything that he did and the center and the thing that anchored him wasn't mission for God, but a life in communion with God. You go, where do you see that? Let me just show you a couple passages. One, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, of knowing, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider everything rubbish, that word is literally garbage, refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know. Christ the thing that drove everything that Paul did in his life was not for church planting evangelism mission he was this desire to know God and knowing scripture is not just an intellectual knowledge about someone it is a deep experiential knowledge of a person that you know Paul didn't confuse his calling Ministry to the Gentiles with his treasure. His treasure was Jesus. His treasure was Jesus. And that centered and anchored everything that he did. Did you know that this book, Philippians, is the most joy-filled letter in the entire New Testament? The entire book is a theme about joy. And Paul wrote this letter while sitting in prison doing absolutely nothing for God. Nothing for God. 
his life is pulsating with joy. It wasn't just for himself. You know what his desire for you and I was? I don't want that we would do more for God. Look at, look at an example of his prayer. Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 3 verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that you can do more mission, so that you can plant more churches, so that you can do more ministry, so, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. Do you know why we struggle with this? And why I'm scared to death that we have a generation of people who are confusing what is the essence of the Christian life. It's because you and I have lived in a culture that is brainwashed into thinking that you are what you do. You live in a culture that says, so some total of who you are and your worth is what you do. How successful are you? What school do you go to? How much do you make? Who are you dating? You, let me tell you something, truth from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not what you do. You do what you are. Your identity doesn't flow out of your, your activity. You are not some total of what you perform, how much you produce. You are not. You are not. You do what you are, and who you are is defined by Christ and what he has done in and through you on the cross. Is that good news? Hear me again. Hear me again. You are not what you do. You do what you are. You do not find your significance and worth. We all come out of the womb feeling insignificant. Do you know this? Do you know this? Yes? Yes, of course you do. And do you know what life for God does? Life for God takes that significance and fear of it, insignificance, and it just pours gas on it. And it causes a relentless drive to go, I'm going to poop, I'm going to work. Let me tell you something. You have a mission in life. I have a mission in life. But that mission in life is to be carried out with deep assurance of God's love and never fear of insignificance. You live for God out of fear of insignificance. It will drive you into the ground. Let me just say to very beautiful, attractive, successful people, the most driven people to accomplish things are some of the people who fear insignificance the most. I don't even have to know your story. The most driven people on the face of this earth, on the, in this city, to accomplish things deep down inside. Fear of insignificance. And here's the question for you this morning, question for me this morning. Where do you find your worth? What you could accomplish? Or what Christ has already accomplished for you? Where do you find your value? Where do you find your identity? See, some of y'all are going to walk out here, and as soon as you get up tomorrow morning at your work, the message you're going to hear is, you do, or you are what you do, you are what you do, you are what you do, produce, perform, da-da-da. And if you are not grounded and anchored in gospel truth, that you, you are not what you do. Your activity needs to flow out of your identity. Do you hear me? 
or else you're going to take something beautiful, valuable, like life for God, and it's going to become twisted and destructive and toxic to your soul. That was me preaching to myself for the next last five minutes. So thank you for listening to me preaching to myself and maybe like two other people. Do you know where that verse is? And do you know where it comes from? Do you know what it says? So here's where we're going for the series. It's Revelation 3.20 where it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus says, I will come in and what? Eat with him and he with me. Or other verses, I will dine with you and you dine with me. And in this culture, in this context, because you're sitting there going, I live in Chicago in 2013. What the heck is about that? You know, because I'm going to go out to lunch afterwards. And there's going to be a group of like seven, eight people that I kind of know, don't know. Or we're going to enjoy, blah, blah, blah. In this culture, there was no more intimate, no more intimate, no more intimate relational thing than to sit and to dine with somebody. This is the reason why Jesus was constantly getting himself into trouble because when Jesus sat across the table with somebody it wasn't just well let's share a cup of tea together it was his way of saying I am entering into deep fellowship with you I accept you I love you for who you are and you don't have to fear my rejection the amazing thing about the Christian life is Jesus says Christian or non if you just open the door he's going to come in and not be like I'm going to tell you what's up Jesus is not going to come in, and we're just going to, we're going to dine together. What? Yeah, yeah. We're just going to be together. Dude, some of us go, I don't have time to just be with you. <laughs> I got stuff to do. Jesus goes, no, 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 first things first. Because when I call you, you're called to someone, not something or somewhere. We're just going to be together. But what about the list of first things first? We're going to be together. In 1980, Dan Rather interviewed Mother Teresa. And they were talking about prayer. And Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, "Uh, so when you pray, what do you say to God? Mother Teresa replied, I don't say anything. I just listen. Okay. Um, Okay. When you pray to God, what does God say to you? Her answer He doesn't say anything. He just listens. (laughs) And I love what she said. She goes, and if you don't understand that, then I can't explain it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Mother Teresa, literally the mother of all life for God posture. When you think Mother Teresa... The most difficult parts of India serving. And yet this woman, what grounded her, what anchored her, was not what she did for God. Was this deep communion where her and God were just what? Together. We're just going to be together. When is the last time you accepted that invitation from Jesus just to Here's where we're going for the entire sermon series. More than rule keepers, 
More than people use God for their own ends. More than even people are living missionally for God. Deep in the heart of God. What he desires when you read from Genesis to Revelation is a God who says, I want to be with you. And for you to be with me in the context of intimacy. You know what intimacy is? Intimacy is when you are fully known and fully accepted without any fear of rejection. An intimate relationship is one in which you know everything there is to be about me, the good, the bad, ugly, and everything in between, everything about me, and yet you accept me and love me for who I am, and I don't fear your rejection, and I know you, everything about you, the good and the bad and the ugly and everything, and you don't fear my rejection. That is an intimate relationship. Let me ask you a question. Does that define your relationship with God? And two, does that define your relationship with other people? Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. And intimacy. Relationship intimacy. I don't care if you're not a Christian. You could be a Buddhist, Hindu, you could be an atheist. It's not a Christian need. It's a human need for crying out loud. Every single one of us in this room has a deep yearning, a deep desire to be fully known and to be fully accepted and loved without any fear of rejection. The problem is that's foreign to us, even in marriages. Why? Well, most of us are accustomed to what I'll call dysfunctional intimacy. Here's what dysfunctional intimacy looks like. One form. Dysfunctional intimacy is where you're fully known, but you're not fully accepted. Anybody know what that's like? Anybody, raise your hand if you know what that's like. It, God bless you if you've never experienced that. Because for some of us, do you remember? You just opened yourself up to that person and you let, you know, I, like, I think I can finally trust you or them. And here I am. And they just looked at you and said, and in one form or another, they just walked away. And you said to yourself, never, ever again. That's why you're sitting here this morning. You don't know what intimate relationship is because you don't know what it means to trust. And then some of us, or most of us, uh, we're not fully known. And that's why we're fully accepted. <laughs> Woo! Church people. If you're not a Christian, by the way, this is when you're going to have fun. Because, you know, for those of us that grew up in church people, good Lord, image management, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We could teach you a thing or two if you're not a Christian about image management. Oh, man. We are experts. Those of us that have been around the block, one or two, we are experts at portraying an image of us that we want you to know, that we want you to accept. We are experts at portraying this image. You know, some of us do the whole, well, I'm not all put together. But we already know that, first of all. And secondly, you're just, you're going, you know, I, I'm just going to throw a little bit of stuff out there. That's actually for your defense mechanism because you don't want them to know the real deep, dark stuff. So we put out an image and we want people to kind of accept this image part of us. The problem is the whole time, you can't shake this nagging feeling that things aren't quite right. You can't quite shake this whole thing of, I want to be fully known. I want to be fully accepted. I want to be able to be in relationship without fear of rejection. And yet, 
It's foreign to us. Do you know why you have that in you? Why I have that in you? Do you know you were created by God for intimacy? Do you know that when God designed you and God designed me, God designed us in such a way that we would be most alive when we are in an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, where we are fully known and fully accepted without any fear of rejection. But as we'll see, man comes along and breaks intimacy with God. And when man broke intimacy with God, it's as if a cosmic plug was just pulled from our soul. And there is a hole the size of the universe. And you know what some of us do? Pat it, numb it, and shove it, you know, the whole, well, I'm going to get the latest version of car, shove it. Well, I'm going to date and shove it. Well, I'm going to be successful and become known and shove it. You numb it and you shove it by slicker, cuter, handsomer. And yet, and I said this to this morning, do you know how often... One, do you know how often, I, I meet with people in coffee shops, and I'm amazed at how open they are at a coffee shop in front of, like, lots of people. Like, some of this stuff, I'm sitting there going, like, <laughs> you know what that is? You know what that is? Can I tell you something? People want to be known. And for whatever reason, they think I'm a safe person. To, but here's the thing. <laughs> Why is that funny? It's the way they said it. I am a safe person. Did I put that in quotes? <laughs> I have a bad habit of putting things in quotes. That's not appropriate. I'm a safe person. <laughs> listen, can I tell you, I can't, listen, the number of times, listen guys, the number of times where I'll be at a coffee shop, and these are very bright, successful, attractive people who will look across the table and say to me, Pastor Peter, I only have one wish. And I said, what is it? And they go, I just want to be able to go to sleep tonight and put my head on the pillow and have peace in my heart. And I'm sitting there going, that's it? You just want to be able to lie? That's it. Because a plot was pulled, you got this nagging sense of discontentment. And by the way, you know what's really dangerous? When you plug that with church. And Christianity. You plug it with religiosity. You plug it with, I'm going to do and I'm going to serve and I'm going to be there Sundays in small groups. And you plug it and still there's nothing. So here's the dilemma. The dilemma is the only person, the only person on the face of the planet who knows us fully for who we are and who in Christ accepts us for who we are without any fear of rejection, that is God. The only person that can do that is the person we keep outside the door because we don't know who he is and what he'll do if we let him in. And or some of us, oh my goodness, are saying, my life is going okay. If you come in, some things might get better, other things might get worse, and I don't know if it'll be worth the trade-off. So Jesus, I may want this, but right now, I'm good. And you miss out on intimacy. If you're sitting there going, man, you're making a big deal out of like one preposition, like with an intimacy. Are you sure this is what the Bible is about? Can I show you the very end picture? Listen, look at the very end picture, you guys. This is amazing. Revelation 21.1. 1. 
Then I saw new heaven and new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful dress for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to God. Now the dwelling of God is what? With men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself be himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And in case you're wondering, um, two days ago, my, my, my baby girl Sophie got a little boo-boo, she fell and uh, she started crying. Brought her and put her on my lap, and I wiped her tears. Do you know how close physically and relationally you need to be with someone to be able to reach out and to wipe their tears? Does that sound like a God who says, if you'll open the door and let me in, I'm going to come in and start? Does that sound like a God? More than a life under God, where it's about rules. More than a life from God, where we use God for our ends. More than a life for God. God, from the very beginning of time, said, I created you for life with me, where we can be together. And for you to come to me and say, I want to know you fully for who you are, not as I imagine you to be. And I need not fear your rejection. And God, I want to be known fully for who I am. And I need not fear rejection. Do you know why I'm doing this sermon series? I long for that. Because I feel like for years, I've lived my life varying from life under God, certainly life from God, and life for God. And if you're uh, paying attention this morning, and this is what we're going to talk about this next week, yes. If you do not know intimacy with God, listen carefully, you will never know intimacy with other people. But we're intimate physically, If you want true intimacy with people, and we were created for that, will you come alive? Intimacy with God. So here's what we're doing. We're going to go back to Genesis. I thought about preaching all through Genesis 3, and then I thought, what the heck are you thinking? So I'm just going to lay a foundation as we go on this journey. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. By the way, guys, as we, as we, as we start this journey, we're going we're gonna to go back to the very beginning. Can I just tell you something exciting? Can I just tell you something exciting? Right, right. So in Genesis 3, man and God were in perfect relationship, perfect relationship, intimacy. Um, number, there were no Bibles. Because some of us think intimacy is about reading the Bible and devotionals. Uh-uh. There are no devotionals. There are no Sunday worship as we think of Sunday worship. There, and check this out. And there are no rules. For some of you sitting there going, I don't want to be a Christian. Why? Because it's about a bunch of rules. God's about a bunch of rules. This is Eden. This is paradise. And there is one rule. One. Don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Any other rules? No. And then how we're going to? We're going to be in relationship. We're going to see where Adam broke intimacy with God and the fallout of that because you and I are replaying this tape over and over again. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're going, I don't know what it means to be intimate with God. We're going to discover the most foundational, fundamental thing about why you feel that, why I feel that this morning. Genesis 3, let's go. Chapter 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, everybody say, really? Okay, see, Satan is here being, he's being sarcastic. So, so, and some of you, this is your native tongue. So say it like you mean it. Ready? <laughs> did God Say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, in some translations, it says indeed, and others, like NIV says really. And this word is an important word because in Hebrew, it literally means doubtless or to be certain. So here's what Satan is doing. He wants to cast doubt in Eve's mind, and yet he's using a word that's contradictory to its originally intended meaning. And we in English call that what? Sarcasm. Irony. So literally, Satan is, as a way of mocking God, using sarcasm and irony to go, God said, what? God said, what? Seriously? Like you can't eat from the tree in your own garden? Really? Do you know why this is practical? And I thought I was going to spend more time on this just real quick. And we come. You know what causes you and me to doubt God and lose faith? It's not some fancy argument for the non-existence of God and the creation for many of us. It's a culture of sarcastic sneer. How many of you heard the whole, you're a, you're a, you're a Christian? What? <laughs> you can't have sex before marriage? What? Yeah, that is kind of dumb. What, what's that all? What? You believe what? That Jesus is the only way? This is 2013. Where are you living in? What, what? <laughs> let, me, let me get this straight. So you believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross. They buried him in the tomb and third day he rose again. <laughs> yeah, he rose again. That is kind of dumb. How many of you are sitting here? And the thing that began your journey of doubt wasn't some massive argument for, but it was the sarcastic sneer. But it goes deeper, though. Um, look, at, look, at, look at what it says in verse 2. The, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the tree, tree, uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Did, did God say that? The answer is no, no. And yet Eve is buying into the thing that Satan is out to do. Or you will die, verse 4. You will not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Everybody, will you look up here for a second? Not for a second. For... This is what's going on. Satan comes to Eve and says, Eve, I've been watching you for a little bit and uh, I feel sorry for you. Um, God doesn't want the best for you. What, you, what? No, he doesn't. He wants to keep you down. He knows that if you're going to go off on your own, his prohibitions, his will, please. If you go on your own, you're going to be much more than you are now. God knows what the best for you. God wants to keep you down. 
You follow him, you surrender. <laughs> Those Christians talk about giving it all to God, surrendering it all to God, making Jesus Lord. Please, you're going to miss out. To which maybe some of us are on emotionally familiar ground, yes? Satan, what's the lie about? What is the lie about? Look it carefully. What is Satan's lie? And by the way, when they do take of the fruit, they don't become more than they were. They become less. But that's simple. We already know that happens. But what is the lie about? Is Satan coming to him saying, I'm going to make you doubt the existence of God. Atheism is a big boogeyman. So here, no. Does Satan come and go, I'm going to make you doubt the power of God that he's able. What does Satan do? He says, I'm going to make them doubt this. And when I make them doubt this, it'll poison everything. Satan comes and says, I will make them doubt the goodness of God. I'm going to come and go. <laughs> you trust him? You, you think he has your best interest at heart? Wait, wait, wait. You think that if you surrender all, give your life over to God, make him a priority, that you think that God has, are you serious? You buy that lie, I buy that lie. And it poisons everything. Let me just ask you straight up. How many of you are struggling with this right now? One person? How many of us this morning are going, I don't know if I want to follow God. I don't know if I want to surrender to God. I don't know because look what happens when I do. And immediately your mind doesn't go to the existence of God, power of God. Your mind goes to if he's good, if he's loving, if he's gracious, if he means the best for me, then why? And when we buy into that lie, it poisons everything. It poisons everything. You think it's an accident that you take God seriously, make him a priority, and all of a sudden start hard things all of a sudden start happening in your life? You just think, oh, it's coincidence that every time I go, God, I want to surrender to you. Why do you think that happens? The thing that Satan is out to do from the very beginning of time. Because the feast is, if I can just infiltrate and infect them with this. Oh my gosh. Oh Lord. You live in a culture that says, if you have, if you wait to have sex until you're married, you're going to, what? Miss out. If you do finances God's way, if you carry relationships God's way, if you're actually going to have some sort of a standard, a standard, who has a standard? If you do that, the train is going to come and the train is going to go and you're going to be on the platform watching everybody live their lives while you suffer. And you and I buy into that lie and it poisons everything. That's why you're sitting here. (sighs) Why are some of you moralistic? Why are some of you very religious? Why are you a good person? Do you know why? Because you don't trust the goodness of God. You don't trust the grace of God. You don't trust the... what, What are you talking about? You're saying to yourself by your life, I'm going to be good, and I'm going to force you to accept me, God. I'm going to make a life and give it to you, and you're going to have to take me into heaven. I'm going to do this thing, and I demand that you, why are you a good person, foundational underneath it, you do not trust that it is by grace, it is by mercy, it is by goodness of God that you're saved. 
the other version of this, that's why some of you and I are sitting there going, well, I'm going to take my life into my own hands. Why? Because some of you actually think this, God is the enemy of my happiness. God is the enemy of my happiness. If I give my life to God, he's going to go, now into the closet where for 30 days you'll have just bread and water. Ha, 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 ha. I've got you exactly where I want. What is that? All? And yet, emotionally we resonate. I'll tell you why. You may not be that blunt, but you know what you and I do? Listen very carefully. It's because you don't trust God that you withhold areas of your life from him. And you have put up no access signs. Okay, you know what? I'm going to trust you with heaven and hell because I can't do anything about that. But who I date, no access. I'm going to trust you about heaven and hell because I can't do anything about that. But the way I do my finances, no access. Well, I trust you about heaven and hell because there's nothing I can do about that. But my relationships, no access. And we withhold areas of our life. And let me tell you something that is so simple, so profound here. We miss it. Trust and intimacy go hand in hand. You cannot be intimate with someone that you do not trust. This is why some of our marriages are this way for crying out loud. On the surface, it's about sex and money. Usually not enough of it. And I got this and that. But if I sat you down and said, let's dig deeper, let's dig deeper, you know what I find? I find the husband saying, I don't trust her. And I find the wife saying, and I don't trust him. And when you don't trust somebody, listen, you're never going to be fully transparent, fully open fully vulnerable and you're going to keep secrets and when you keep secrets in a relationship say goodbye to intimacy intimacy with God has far more to do with God I trust you with every part of my life than it does about how often you do your devotionals I'm going to read this quote from Eric Erickson, a child psychologist. He said, and this is so powerful, the main thing a little kid needs is not be dropped. The main thing a little kid needs is to not be neglected, to not be left. Why? Because the main thing the little kid needs is to be able to trust the big, dominant, powerful figures in his or her life. And if he or she does not learn how to trust in the earliest stages of life, it is the taproot. It is the taproot. It is the taproot for all the psychological, emotional, sociological disorders that come later. Some of you are sitting here, and this is why I was emotional this morning. Some of you can't see, but there are literally people here, just literally right now, just emotional over this. Because this is very personal, it's very deep. I had to tell you something, I, I was preaching at church, and a young lady came up, and she was a PK, a pastor's kid, right? And her story was one of, like many of you, you know, she was the, the star youth group, you know, kid and led the youth group and was heavily involved and led all. And then she went to college. It was the star college group thing, you know. And then when she graduated college, she just, very, just walked off and said, no, I'm, no, thanks. She later came back. And when I met her, she had been involved in this church just serving and just doing everything for God. You know what she said to me? We're just sitting 
This is after my service, again, with lots of people around. And she says to me, she says, Pastor Peter, she's like, I've never known intimacy with God. I'm like, how can you, people think you're a starker? She goes, when I was a child, my parents, to do ministry, brought foster kids into our home. And when I was five years old, I was sexually abused by one of these kids. And she says, I've never told anybody. And I'm telling you. And then she said this thing, and I'll never forget. She goes, my entire life, I've struggled trusting God. Because my entire life, I've asked, if you love me, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? That's your question and my question for some of us this morning. Why would you let this happen? And deep down inside, when I say intimacy and trust go together, I don't even have to elaborate. You're sitting there going, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're sitting and going, why is it that I've been a Christian for 15 years? I've done the church thing, and yet I always feel like I'm hitting a ceiling with God. I want to tell you lovingly, gently, and affirming, you don't trust him. You don't trust him, so here's what you're doing. And by the way, if you're sitting there going, I don't know if I trust God. I feel like I'm a fairly good Christian. Let me tell you. Here's how I know you don't trust the goodness of God and the grace and mercy of God, okay? Let me ask you, why are some of you working yourself into the ground? Why you work 70, 80, 90 hours a week? Do you know why? You don't trust the goodness of God. You don't believe that you're loved. You don't. You're literally saying to yourself, you'll never vocalize it because you sound dumb saying it, but you go, and my career defines me. If I'm bad at my career, I am nothing. Why are some of you ready to jump off a bridge because that romantic relationship has gone awry? Do you know why? Deep down inside, you don't trust the goodness of God. What are you talking about? You don't believe that God delights in you. Why are some of you, when you go through trials and hardships and things don't go right, you say to yourself, how could God let this happen? How could a loving God? Why are you saying that? Because you're believing Satan's life. And then for most of us, most of us, you refuse to let go of that thing and trust him. And here's the real, you think it's about that thing. You think it's about that thing. Some of us go, whoa, I know it's that thing that's getting, it's not that thing. The relationship, it's not the thing. I'm sorry, but God could care less about that thing. It's not about the thing. It's what it represents, and what it represents is a barrier to intimacy between you and God. So I have good news, bad news. You ready? Because God loves you enough. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? That thing that you hold on to, God's going to go after that thing. Because he loves you too much. And he knows that you're shoving that hole with that thing. You think it's going to, it's not going to do it. It's not, you know, and I know it. Is it about time we fessed up and we're just honest and saying, it ain't doing it. So what do I do with that? What do I do with this? I can't let go. What do you do with it? Sounds simple. We're going to unpack it. You can't withhold 
my children, my job, my work. You can't withhold those areas and experience intimacy. You can't. You don't trust him. You don't trust him. This journey, I'm going to consistently come around and go, what are you holding? What are you holding? What are you withholding from God? What are you saying, God? This, you can't. Everything else but this. And as long as there is this, you can't. Intimacy with God where you are fully known and fully accepted without any fear. Let me end with this. And this is an incredible thing about God. See, when I go on a journey, when you go on a journey, most of us go on a journey without knowing destination. What do I mean? Some of you are in jobs right now where you're going, man, if I knew what my job was going to be like two years into it, I would have never worked here. Anybody? <laughs> Some of us, you're like me, the most impatient person on the face of the earth. Driving for like two and a half hours, and I'm like mad as heck at my wife. I'm going, I thought you were going to take, I thought you said it was going to take 30 minutes. What is this? Patience, Peter, patience. If I know where the journey ends, I don't like it. I'm like, I'm out. Do you know what the most incredible thing about God is? The most incredible thing about God is he knows where this journey will end. He knows where this destination the journey that he is about to embark on to reconcile man and woman to God. He knows where it ends. And yet, you know what we find next week? God says, Adam, where are you? God, knowing the destination, takes the first step and says, where are you? And he knows what it's going to cost him. He knows it's going to cost him everything, everything. And yet, and yet, and yet. <laughs> Love so amazing, so divine, and yet. God takes the step to say, I am fully committed 